Now, I tell you that I'm excited to be here to help close this portion of the Beatitudes, but I also have been given the hardest set of the Beatitudes to cover, and I think Jim planned that from the start. (laughs) But as it is the hardest, it is also the one that Jesus tells us to rejoice over, to have exceedingly glad in our lives for. But in order to understand this beatitude, understanding that this is a stair system or a ladder, we need to kind of go back a little bit and refresh ourselves with the rest of them. When we come to the Beatitudes, we understand before this point, we are apart from Christ. And then as we come to him, as he enters our lives, gives us a new heart, gives us new eyes and ears to hear, things start to change. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Each one of these today, I'm going to give you a word to try to mimic what this means. The word for this is humility. We come to God, we have God come into our lives, and it causes us to become humble. We are spiritually bankrupt. We have no good thing aside from Christ. And that causes us to start to have humility. Hi, Izzy. As this happens, as we become humble, this next set of blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word for here that I'd like you to think about is sensitivity. As you are aware of your spiritual bankruptcy, you're poor in spirit, you become more sensitive to sin. You hate the sin prior, you hate the sin that accomplishes now, and you mourn over the sin in other people's lives. But luckily you are comforted by Jesus Christ and he gives you the true comforter of the Holy Spirit. Next, we get the next beatitude of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea of meekness, I want you to think about is self-control. We've talked about this a little bit, that it's the idea of you have a sword, it's in its sheath, but you withhold, you don't use it. You are gentle with other people because Christ is gentle with you. Then, the last time I was here, we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The idea of this word here is obedience. You obey Christ, you obey his commandments, and you follow him in this world. You hunger and thirst for yourself, others, and the world to obey God. And you are satisfied as you start to conform more to his image. Next, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The word here I want you to think about is compassion. We have compassion on other people. We are merciful to other people because we have received mercy from Christ. Praise God for it. Next, we have blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word here is holiness. You are to be set apart and to be cleansed. You are blessed as you mimic more of God and less of the world. Next, and before our last one, is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The idea of peacemaker here is not no conflict. The idea of peacemaker here is reconciliation. That we desire for reconciliation in our relationships and a relationship that is most important with Christ. When we see other people in their chaos, we want them to have peace. We want them to have reconciliation to God through the Prince of Peace in Christ. That leads us, now you can't see it up there, but to our verses of today. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to notice that 
blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That creates the parentheses here. These are the Beatitudes. Starts with the kingdom of heaven, ends with the kingdom of heaven. These last two verses are really supportive of the final verse. It is expounding upon that and making it personalized. You can see this when it starts with, blessed are they which are persecuted. And then in verse 11, blessed are ye when you are persecuted. It changes the tempo. So these three verses really go together. And they are at the top of the stairs for a reason. They can be a measure of our faith to be true. And along with that, Jesus gives them a double blessing. There's a special portion to persecution in our lives. It also is the one we fear the most. But we must face that part. So, what is persecution? What does that word mean? To the, word, to the world, it means hostility and ill treatment based on your race, your political views, and your religious beliefs. That's what persecution means to the world. What does it mean to us? It means hostility towards us because the world is offended by Christ. The world is offended by the cross, by two pieces of wood together. It results in people reviling you and insulting you. This word revile and insult is not just, I don't like your shoes. It is, I want to punch your teeth out with the words that I say. It's a true form of insult. They want to tear down your beliefs because of hatred of it. Also notice this word revile has the word evil directly in the center of it. And then it goes on to tell us that there's all these kinds of lies that people tell about us falsely that are evil. Have you guys ever heard of any lies about Christianity, about your faith before, about you? How about the idea that you have blind faith? It's not true. We don't have blind faith. We have the scriptures. We have Jesus. We have all of the experiences that go along with it. We have the Holy Spirit. It is not blind. Or you think that you're better than everyone. I hope you don't. Jesus told us if without him you would be just like them. Or you do horrendous things in the name of God. There have been people that have done horrendous things and then quote Jesus and why they do them, but that is not what Christians are called for. It's not true. Or this last one, you hate other people. You hate those with different religious beliefs. You hate different political views. And you hate people of homosexuals and transgenders. You hate them. That is not true. Now, I'm here to tell you, if those are things that are in your heart, you hate people based off of those things, we need to repent. This is not true. We are not called to that. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. We cannot be filled with that type of hatred, or else we make them true. Our early Christian brethren faced these lies all over the place. They faced the idea that they were cannibals. Crazy, right? We're cannibals? Why is that? Well, because we get together for this thing called a love feast and we eat the body and the blood of some dude. That's what they thought. But they don't understand what the scripture is telling us. That's not actually what we're doing. It's a lie. They thought that we were atheists. That's crazy to think about because we didn't worship all this plethora of gods in the Roman culture. We worship the one true God. So we were viewed as atheists. Or, and the fact that Nero, in the beginning of the first century, burned down Rome and said that it was the Christians who did it in order to persecute them. These lies are continuous throughout our walk. Now, 
when we normally think of persecutions, we think of beatings, torture, imprisonment, death, which are forms of persecution. They're called violent forms of persecution. But there are other forms. There's economic, there's academic, workplace, career. Have you ever been held back because of your faith? Have you ever been looked as lesser because of your faith? It's not working. There we go. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Have you ever been this person in the middle and completely ostracized? We can also be persecuted spiritually. As we get closer to God, the devil and the demons in our flesh want to pull us back away from him. So it intensifies. This also can come from multiple different areas. Our government can be one of them. Other religions can be one of them. Your family and your friends can also be those people. There's something I really want to press into your heart about this idea of persecution. Please pray for your pastor. Please pray for the pastors of the world because they're not just getting up here to read a book. They're entering a battlefield. That is what it's for. And this is not just something of the past. Today, as of right now, 340 million Christians are persecuted on a daily basis. That's one out of every seven Christians are persecuted. Count down your row. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And along with that, every two hours, someone dies for their faith. That's 4,400 people a year that die for Christ, that we know about. That means that somebody died at the beginning of service, and someone's going to die at the end of service for their belief in Christ. But this is not something that should surprise us. It's not something we like, but it's not something that should surprise us. We, this is part of the deal. Jesus told us, you must deny yourself, carry your cross daily, and follow me. That carrying of the cross also includes persecution. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.12, says, all people who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All will. It's a command. It's going to happen. It may not happen in these violent measures, but it will happen in our lives. I would ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter 4. As Peter goes through a, a description of the idea of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We're going to be turning to verse 12 of 1 Peter. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which has come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter just told us again, it shouldn't be a surprise when you face persecution. You know it's coming. He also tells you on here that which comes upon you for your testing. We've heard that before. In James, we hear, consider it all joy for the testing of your faith. Peter goes on to say, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Consider it all joy when you face various trials. Persecution is a trial. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. As you face some things of persecution, know that God's spirit is on you. That's why you're blessed. That's why Jesus gives this a double blessing. Here's a point to make. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. 
if you are persecuted for these things, it's not a blessing. It's because of our own choices of sin. If you're persecuted for hatred, for thievery, for meddling in other people's affairs, that's because of you. It's not because of Jesus. And then Peter finishes, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. As you are persecuted, it is not something of shame. It is a badge of honor and glory to wear for him because he did so much more for us. It's not working. Okay. I'll just let you guys do it then. (laughs) So why? Why do we need to be persecuted? What is the reason for this? Well, luckily, like the rest of Scripture, Jesus tells us, you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, remember, righteousness is obedience to God. And where do we get righteousness from? From Jesus. Jesus imputed his righteousness into us. And then he goes on to say, for my sake, they're one and the same. You are persecuted because of Jesus, not because of you. The Beatitudes, when we look at them, it doesn't really make sense the fact that we get persecution. Because don't you like people that are humble, that are gentle, that are kind, that want peace, that are cleansed? We want those things. We like those people until it's for Jesus. Then we don't. That's where the persecution comes from. That's the why. It doesn't sound like much of a blessing, though. But it is because Jesus died for us. He was the ultimate form of persecution in this world. And that is the reason we get to share in those sufferings. How do we know? Well, Jesus just said so. That's why. Or I give you an illustration. We all know Paul. We love Paul. After Damascus, we love Paul. But remember on his walk and his trip to Damascus, he's on the road and God just blinds him. And what does that conversation go like? Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul's answer, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Jesus makes it very clear when you attack Christians, you are attacking him, not them. Paul had spent his whole life beating, killing, and imprisoning Christians, but he was not after them. He was after who was behind them, who was in them. The world hates Christ. Now, not all of Christ, though. They, they like little parts of him. They love Jesus as a teacher. They're like, oh, I taught wonderful things. The gold rule, love your neighbor. They love that part. Or they love Jesus as the miracle worker. Oh, he healed the blind. He healed the sick. He raised people from the dead. Praise God. That's awesome. Or my favorite, they love loving Jesus. He loves you so much. He's loving. He would never do those things in Revelation. He would never do those things in the Old Testament. But the problem with this is they hate when we call him God. When Jesus says, I am the son of a man, you need to repent and to believe in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. That's when they hate him. They like all the other cutesy stuff that doesn't require them to change their lives. I'd ask you to turn with me to John 15. And Jesus is going to tell us one more time why. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's teaching them about their relation to the world. Starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it has hated you. It went to him first. 
If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But praise God, you're not part of the world. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But here's the but. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. It's not because of you. It's for him. It's because of their unbelieving hearts and hatred towards God that that things are happening. Now, next one, guys. Now, this has been a wonderfully pleasant idea and a topic to go through a persecution, but yet Jesus tells us rejoice. Now, this word rejoice is not some simple, like, put a smile on your face. This is leaping for joy. What are you talking about, Jesus? Wait, this guy's beating me and I'm supposed to be happy about this? This person's insulting me and I'm supposed to be happy about this? Yes, you are. It's a hard thing to fathom, but it depends on the lens in which you look at it. If you look at it from an earthly, temporal, comfortable perspective, it's not joy. But if you look at it from an internal perspective, it becomes very joyous. I give you the example of Acts 5, when Peter and the apostles are out preaching Christ, as they always do, and they are taken and thrown into prison, and an angel comes down, opens the gates, lets them out, and they go back into the temple, and they preach Christ again. They find them there, after they realize they're not in prison anymore, bring them back and say, why are you, pers- why are you preaching Christ? We told you not to. He said, stop. What is Peter's response? Nah, I'm not going to do that. I need to obey God and not man. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. That's not exactly what he said. And after they were beaten and thrown out and told, don't preach Christ anymore, and yet they did. And they also said they counted it as joy, exceedingly gladness for being able to suffer alongside Christ. They saw the joy in it. Peter and James just said this, consider it all joy. Remember, this is a double blessing as well. There's something special about those people who go through persecution. Those numbers I listed to you earlier, I want to make a very clear point. Do not pity or feel sorry for those who are under persecution. They are closer to Christ than they've ever been. Those people, when you hear their story and give their testimony, they tell you of the exceeding joy it is to go to prison for years to suffer for Christ, to be persecuted for him. Don't pity them. So, what comes out of this? Paul tells us, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We get a great reward. It is not one here, though. We are storing up treasure in heaven. Remember, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, but where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The reward is with Christ when he returns. So as you stand firm and receive ridicule and hostility on the name of Christ, remember that God is being glorified as they blaspheme him through you. That's how you can find joy. And remember, God sees all that we do, all of our suffering, all of our thoughts, all of our actions. When we stand for him, he sees that. And all of heaven rejoices as they persecute you as they persecuted him. We need a mindset change. 
We need to focus less on being comfortable and more on our eternity. That's the mindset shift that we need. It's easy to want to be liked. I want to be liked. I hope you guys don't hate me right now. I want to be liked, but I don't want to be liked more than I want to follow Jesus. I don't like being uncomfortable, but I will for the sake of the gospel. I don't want to be attacked, and I hope you don't want to either. But Jesus didn't call us to an easy life. He called us to pick up our cross like he picked up his and follow him as he walked up the hill. Also, you're in good company. For so they persecuted the prophets that came before you. Let's go down a small list of these people. Abel, first dude in the Bible, murdered for righteousness by his own brother. Job was persecuted to prove a point to Satan that you cannot touch mine. They are mine. Daniel, thrown into the lion's den for worshiping God. Isaiah was sawed in half for being a prophet. Paul lists all of these things in Corinthians about being beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, had no food, was freezing, and then he worried the most about the church. His spiritual persecution was his constant worry about the church. There's one man I want to point you to when it comes to persecution. Turn with me to Acts 7, starting in verse 51. And you'll have time because I'll tell you a little bit about this man. His name is Stephen. The apostles were going around spreading the gospel, and they realized they needed to appoint some men for the area. So they appointed seven men, and one of those people happened to be Stephen. And the Bible says that he is a faithful, righteous man. All of these works that he's doing are being noticed, and not in a good way necessarily. They find him, bring him in front of the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and say all kinds of lies against him. They say that he's going against the law of Moses. He's blaspheming God. And then Stephen goes through all of this story of Abraham down to Solomon, a complete description of beauty about the scriptures. And then he finishes with this. Verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Woo! He wasn't holding anything back. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, Jesus Christ, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. That man was standing for Jesus in the face of adversity. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Paul was there. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. I don't care how many times I read it, it brings tears to my eyes to imagine that Stephen is about to die. He's being stoned by them, and his thought is, don't hold this against them. Does it remind you of anyone? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
One thing I also want you to notice about this passage is as he gazes into heaven, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, not seated. Because if you're willing to stand for him, he's willing to stand for you. But this all pales in comparison to our Lord, to Jesus. Jesus laid the foundation for us on that cross. In his ministry, he was plotted against, schemes against him, lies, and he was crucified. That's why we are blessed, because we get to share in that with him. We're not here to have an easy life. We're here to be more like Jesus. That's what we're here for. Notice also, minus the beginning of Herod, he didn't really start this persecution intensification until his ministry went public. As soon as he started doing these miracles and announcing the kingdom of heaven, he was targeted, persecution intensified, as he challenged the powers that be, and as he called sinners to repentance and said that, I am the way, everything rose up against him. Next one, guys. So, John, this wonderful, uh, uplifting message today. I brought my friend to you. Thank you so much. What does this have to do with me? What does this hard pill to swallow have to do with me? How do I apply this? I'm going to give you four things today to think about. One, I am not telling you to seek out persecution. That is not what I'm telling you to do today. Don't go out looking for it. Because if you live righteously with Christ Jesus, it will find you. You don't have to seek it out. Remember, Jesus didn't have to seek it out. It found him. Two, support those who suffer. I spoke about those people who are suffering in the world. Pray for them. Give money to the organizations that help them and spread the truth of their testimonies about Christ. There's a couple of things. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is one of them. Open Doors is another Share their testimonies with other people so they realize it is true that we suffer for Jesus. Three, prepare. I'm not here to alarm you. I'm not here to tell you that they're going to knock on the door tomorrow, but they could. Prepare today as though it is tomorrow. Prepare your children and your grandchildren as though it is tomorrow. A couple ways we can do that. Do you know your Bible? If I sat you away from your Bible and asked you, recite the Gospels. Tell me about the letters. What does it say? Could you? I know I can't do that much, and I need to do more. I need to know more of the Word, because someday they may come for your Bible. It has happened. Two, how is your prayer life? Do you lift up prayer as something immensely important to you? When you don't pray, do you feel worse? Do you love spending time with your Father in heaven? Get your prayer life up. That's another way that we can do that. Again, I'm preaching to myself well before I say this to you. Three, our mindsets need to change. It needs to be heavenly and eternal, not temporary and comfortable. We need to have better time with our relationships. Are you sharing Christ with the people in your life? Are you telling people about him? Are you praying for your enemies? I hear so many talk about Joe did this and Trump did that. Do you pray for them? That's what our power is in, is in our word, is in our prayer. Stop complaining about them and pray for them. Stop hating them and pray for them. 
The next and last point I want to make to you is I'm going to create a challenge for you. No, I dare you. This week, share Christ with an unbeliever. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Share it with your cashier at the grocery store. Share it with a waitress that serves you. Share it with a coworker. Do we love Jesus so much that we're secret Christians that we don't talk about him to other people because we're scared of what might happen? Now, don't expect persecution. Don't, like, look for it. But if it comes, put a smile on your face and say, all praise be to God. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I leave you with one quote. There's a man named Richard Wormbrand. He's actually one of the founders of Voice of the Martyrs. And this man knew persecution. He was running underground churches in Romania. He was persecuted. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten for all of these things. And yet every time he released, he went right back to it. And here's a quote from him that I hope resonates into your heart. A man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things that he is ready to die for. Are we ready to die for our faith? I hope so. As we take communion today, remember that what Christ endured for us. Remember what he was persecuted so that we could sit here today and take these elements in in remembrance of him.